good afternoon, welcome to the penultimate episode of Straight Talking English Season 1. I am your host, as ever, Catherine, and we're going to do the last episode, well, the last episode linked to power and conflict. It's like a quiz, right? Like, which one is missing out? The one we are missing out, of course, is Checking Out Me History by John Agard. John Agard is born in 1949 in Guyana in the Caribbean, which is like the top bit of South America, Caribbean-y. He loved cricket. He still loves cricket. It's like his big thing. And what got him into words as a little lad was making up his own commentary for the cricket matches that he saw. In my head, it's just like, and he's got the ball, and he's throwing the ball, or something like that. I mean, I'm not imagining a little kid as really insightful commentary. He studied to be a journalist while he lived in Guyana. He married Grace Nichols, who is another poet who did Praise Song for My Mother and A Hurricane Hits England. Both fantastic, fantastic poems. Draws on similar themes to Agard in the sense of British culture meeting Caribbean culture, white, black, different things coming together, different themes. So when I say things, I know Praise Song for My Mother, it's food, and Hurricane Hits England, it's weather. And this poem builds on the idea of competing histories. In order to achieve their dream of becoming poets, they moved to England in 1977. Agard worked for the BBC and something called the Commonwealth Institute. Now, I didn't know what that was, but it used to be in the building that's now the Design Museum in Kensington, and it basically aimed to promote writing, culture, the arts from all the Commonwealth nations. So the nations that compete in the Commonwealth Games and claim the Queen as their head of state. Now, Agard doesn't do a lot of interviews, probably because he's about four billion years old, mostly because he lives out in the country living quite a settled life. He actually lives down near Brighton in Lewis, if you're interested, if you want to find him. But I did dig out a couple of gems with his, like, philosophy on life. From an interview of the Financial Times last year, he said, poetry isn't distorting language with a perfidious agenda, like a sneaky agenda, approximating or misappropriating words such that carnage becomes collateral damage. Poetry loves to enter the complex core of the human being. And that's what he's about. He's looking at these two sides within himself, the official one that's imposed on him and the one that comes from within. It's a bit long, so have a listen to his reading and it's immediately followed by his analysis of his own poem. But again, apologies for the rubbish audio. At some point, I will work out how to make it good. But for now, enjoy his singing. Damn, tell me. Damn, tell me. What they want to tell me. Bandage up my eye with my own history. Blind me to my own identity. Them tell me about 1066 and all that. Them tell me about Dick Whittington and he cat. But to St. Louis, but you know, them never tell me about that. To St. A slave with vision. Lick back. Napoleon. Battalion and first black republic born. Toussaint the thorn to the French. Toussaint the beacon of the Haitian revolution. Them tell me about the man who discovered the balloon and the cow jump over the moon. Them tell me the dish 
run away with a spoon, but them never tell me about Nanny the Maroon. Nanny, seafar woman of mountain dream, firewoman, struggle, hopeful stream to freedom river. Them tell me about Lord Nelson and Waterloo, but them never tell me about Shaga the Great Zulu. Them tell me about Columbus and 1492, but what happened to the Caribbean and the Arawak too? Them tell me about Florence Nightingale and Sheelamp, and how Robin Hood used to camp. Them tell me old King Cole was a merry old soul, but them never tell me about Mary Seacole. From Jamaica, she traveled far to the Crimean War. She volunteered to go, even when the British said no. She braved the Russian snow, a healing star among the wounded, a yellow sunrise to the dying. Them tell me, them tell me what they want to tell me, but now checking out my own history, I carving out my identity. The first line in our history book, I seem to remember, was West Indian history begins in 1492 with the arrival of Columbus. It's that very Eurocentric view. Nothing exists until the European has entered the arena. The retelling of history depends a lot on who's telling the story. I would like to think that the poem has a celebratory side. It's celebrating characters such as Toussaint Louverture or Mary Seacole or the Amerindian past. But in a poem, you're not writing a history book. You're not writing a piece of journalism. So no matter how well-intentioned you might be, or how crucial the facts might be, that wouldn't make a point. So it came out in that way, like a counterpoint of two voices. So one voice is the nursery rhymes, counterpointed by a celebration of historical characters. When I think of Nanny, I'm thinking of like, you're casting a spell. So I think from those words, you get the feeling, how, how can I deliver this? This is a woman who used the traditions of her African ancestry. So that becomes a kind of a spell against an oppressive um, regime at the time. You can write a poem in Creole, but it might be a very reactionary poem. It might be very sexist. So it doesn't mean that writing a poem in Creole automatically means you're right on. But you're using all of your registers of speech, your linguistic heritage, and it gives a pride simultaneously in language, but also in history. Let's say I'm playing with words the way you might play with musical notes. The poet hopefully keeps us in touch with the vulnerable core of language that makes you what you are. It keeps you in touch 
with the heartfelt and vulnerable, fragile, complex, contradictory nature of the human beast. It always strikes me how very different his poetry reading voice is to his speaking voice. Like, it sounds like two different guys. But before I get cracking on the analysis, I just want to give you a quote from another interview he did in The Telegraph in 2013. He says, Any black person living in England would be deceiving themselves if they said they never experienced even subtle racism. A changing in the tone of someone's voice, for example. The sooner we face the fact that Western education is entrenched with preconceived notions of other societies, the better. It's healthy and liberating to question these perceptions. And that interview basically sums up the whole poem. So he'd lived in England a long time by the time he wrote this. And we start with this kind of the same old, same old, the us and them mentality. It's coming up again and again and again. Dem tell me, dem tell me, why dem want to tell me. Again, really sorry for my accent on that one. It's another poem that's written in Creole or written in dialect and is designed to be read in the same, like the same tone, the same accent, the same tongue. The idea of dem the people out there, those people, it's not ever explicitly named that it's white people, but the others, the out, the out there people. Repetition highlighting the main idea, they tell me. It's almost like rote learning, like he's learning to repeat these things. You know, the Norman Conquest was in 1066, without actually understanding it. But they tell him what they want to tell him. It's this conspiracy. It's this control that's handed to someone else. The whole way through, we've got this, like, linguistic pride. He is proud in the same way that Mr. Singh's song, Daljit Nagra, is in the other half of the anthology. He's proud of who he is. He's proud of where he comes from. He's bandaged. His eyes are bandaged up to his own history. He's Essentially, he's injured. If your eyes are bandaged, it's because something has happened to them. It's a personal injury that he has kept from his own black history. Maybe it's the view that the black history itself is what's harmful, blinding as well. It's metaphorical, but it's an attack if someone's blinded. It's me own history. His, it's personal, it's his ownership. We've got 1066, which I, you know, I mentioned earlier. It's a Norman conquest and all that. So 1066 and all that was, I think it was a TV show or a book, like, before I was born. That's what he's referencing. Dick Whittington and his cat. So, I don't know, I'm going to have to explain some of these, I think, because when I've tried to explain them to my clients, they're like, what? It's one of these stories, like Robin Hood. It's a traditional English story. This boy and his cat go to London because they believe the streets are paved with gold. It's not real. It's just like... It's a kid's story. But Toussaint Louverture, no dem never tell me about that. This mixing of fact and fiction, it's confusing. And it's all about 
the same relevance to him, really. It's like, well, what relevance is 1066? Interestingly, of course, it's when England went from being warring tribal city-states to being a united country under a foreign conqueror. So when the Normans from France conquered the UK, we were warring internally and conquered by the French became one country. I say we because um, my surname is Anglo-Saxon so I assume, I assume my grumpy lot have been here for over a thousand years. Like it's contemporary, it's a mixture of British and Patois. It's beautiful but let me talk about the lack of punctuation because I'm not, oh I'm in, I'm in two minds about this one to be honest. Right, I originally thought it's like a deliberate rejection of imposed rules so like you have to use a comma here you have to use a dash here well yeah if you're writing but actually that's just someone else telling me that that doesn't impact on my speaking or my understanding so is it rejecting outside rules but then is he creating natural speech it is designed to be performed aloud which is why I uh, shared that reading with you so is it essentially sort of scripting a conversation out loud. I don't know. I do know that he likes to write in character. In some of the articles I found, he wrote one book from the point of view of a germ, one as like an omnipotent book telling you about his life story, and he was doing one about a Russian poet, like where he writes in character and he shifts between these characters, these dramatic tone shifts. We've got the single words which are italicised. It creates this tension, urgency, these single lines, proper nouns listed, all these things are just thrown at you. It's this desperation of, listen to this. The proper nouns, Napoleon, Republic, French, Revolution. It's similar to Hughes. Not to Hughes, who am I talking about? Heaney. When he uses proper nouns and we have to accommodate him. He's assuming prior knowledge, but he knows we don't have it. So we are going to have to reach, we're going to have to do what he wants. The short verse and the irregular rhyme, it creates a really rhythmic sensation. It's almost like he's beating a drum in like a martial way. It's almost like he's using like a Caribbean rhythm to tell us what it could be. What black history could have been like with different focuses. We've got just deliberate conflict in this bit of the italics because the ones he's picked to share about are all military-ish figures. So Toussaint Louverture, I want, honestly, when I was at university, I was talking about the French Revolution because I was a waitress to get a bit more money. And one of the chefs took it upon himself to tell me the story of the Sixth Haitian Revolution. And then there's me, age 21, and I'm like, um, I just wanted to be bussing plates to get money. But this guy is a massive legend. He was a black guy. He was incredibly educated. He argued that the, in the constitution of the French Republic, where it says all men are created equal, he demanded that a specific clause was put in that said regardless of skin colour. The 
first black republic. The beacon he's saying, this hopeful person. Why aren't people learning about him? Why did I only have to learn while this crazy chef was telling me? Like, it's amazing. Like, seriously, research this dude. He's elevating this figure to where he should have been. We go back to this nursery rhyme. The cow jumps over the moon, the dish runs away with the spoon. It's rhythmic. It's quite calming. The myth and the reality are just mixed up. Like, what even is all of this? But the rhythm is building. The pace is building. It's like he's getting riled up. Just, I want to tell you about people. Like, alright dude. Alright, it's cool. And once again, he's picked. And I'm literally looking this up because I want to make sure I get my facts right. And I don't want to be one of them that tell me. He's picked another figure, Nanny de Maroon. He's deliberately called her Seafar Woman rather than like an inspirational woman or someone with foresight. She's a firewoman as well. He's not deliberately mentioning violence. It's actually just making her passion, her spirit come alive. The, it's interesting, actually, she was referred to as a healer or an almost priestess kind of person involved in, like, voodoo, hudun, santeria. So, a holy woman. But she is a, she was a Jamaican national hero, leader of a group called the Maroons, who were descendants of West Africans, descendants of Ghanaians. They fled slavery to become free and basically basically started a war, signed peace treaties, and actually helped to free other slaves. Again, I didn't know about this. Nanny was an absolute hero. Like, Nanny Town was the town the Maroons set up. She was, or she was a massive leader, mostly because of her religious standing. Like, I know nothing about her. I feel like I should know about her. Like, she was declared a national hero of Jamaica. Like, it's a big deal. But, like, we don't know. We don't know. Because when it's Black History Month, we get, like, Martin Luther King. But, not absolutely in no way am I dissing on Dr. King. But he's picked people relevant to him. Once again, we're coming back to the repetition of Dem tell me. Dem tell me. Why Dem want to tell me? Of course they do. He's getting more and more angry about being alienated. The natural imagery in the Nanny de Maroon bit suggests like a cultural empathy for his environment. So part of the history is the history of the landscape. We've got the historical figures, Nelson and Waterloo, yeah, British military leaders. Columbus, 1492, yeah, absolutely, quote unquote, discovered America. Um, I am fairly sure it was already there. But then in the same breath it mentions Shaka Zulu. He was one of the most influential monarchs of the Zulu kingdom in what is now South Africa. He is basically the equivalent among Zulu people of Nelson. Caribs and Arawaks. Caribs sounds like Caribbean, doesn't it? The Caribs and Arawaks were the original inhabitants 
of the Caribbean, it's where the name comes from. But they were displaced by the Europeans. And I would say displaced, I mean, mostly like massacred. So we never hear about the consequences in history. We only, it's like history is written by the victors. We hear about some great military leaders, but not others. We hear about a great explorer, but not the consequences of his actions. And it's true, it's true. It's like, it must be frustrating not to have your history covered. They tell me about Florence Nightingale and Florence Nightingale and her lamb, and how Robin Hood used to camp. They told me old King Cole was a merry old soul, but they never told me about Mary Seacole. So it's interesting he mentions Florence Nightingale and Mary Seacole within the same breath because they were very much contemporaries in the sense that they worked in the same place at the same time. She was a nursing pioneer who developed this knowledge of herbal medicine. When the Crimean War broke out, she went with Florence Nightingale to the the battlefield, but she was refused because she was black. So she travelled on her own with Ledge. She wrote an autobiography, which is one of the earliest autobiographies of a woman of colour. She, if we generally feel like she is a pioneer nurse but there is still controversy today of who really deserves the like the pioneer nurse title is controversial so why is she not included from jamaica she traveled far to the crimean war she volunteered to go even when the british said no she braved the russian snow like she was born in kingston like can you imagine trying to adapt to a russian winter when you're used to it being balmy even in the winter time she's a healing star among the wounded a yellow sunrise to the dying it's natural it's inspirational we've got beacons, stars, fire, hope, sunrise, vision. All the words used to describe his heroes are very inspirational. And finally, he fights back. Dem tell me. Short sentence. Isolated. Finally. This is it. But now I am checking out my own history. I like the checking out. It's almost cautious. It's like, you know what? I'm just checking it out. I'm just investigating it. I'm just going to, you know, just see how it goes. And that changes to something more violent, carving out my own identity. According to, as I told you, my orthodox revision notes, which I refer to, he expresses the resistance and needs to create something which cannot be removed won't fade. I see it as like he's memorialising himself like rather than the statues that we have he's making his own statues. So if we think the statues in Parliament Square we have just had Gandhi included Nelson Mandela's over the river at the Royal Festival Hall but it's like he's carving a statue of a great figure who he wants to admire. He wants to present to people. He's passion for the figures that resonate with him is evident and the blandness of everything else it's just listed there's no regular rhyme there's no the stanzas are mostly irregular is it fractured or conflicted because of the two sides of his identity i don't know john agard is a really cool person actually i would say appreciate him and his work he's still publishing aged fifty thousand million. 
Just before I tell you about friends and partners, the person I would include, and I was honestly thinking about doing this before I started my Straight Talking English project, is I wanted to write a book called 15 Euro Atypical Heroes about people who today would be considered to have depression, anxiety, autism, whatever, and how they turned that condition into an advantage. And the first person that struck out, or stuck out to me, was Vincent van Gogh. And the more I read about him, the more I'm convinced he's not absolute legend. The guy kept painting when none of them sold. He kept painting when people told him to give up. He kept painting when he could only find one colour when he was institutionalised. Like the guy is a boss! So here's the thing, if I ever become rich and famous from the back of this podcast and my writing, I will write that book and that is the person I would include. So, kamikaze, yeah. Oral history, reflect Reflections on the past, reflections on who is right, who is wrong. Emigre, yeah, memory, cultural history. Tissue, yeah, cultural history. Uh, If you're not comfortable with tissue, then don't. (laughs) Don't feel like you have to. Like, you don't have to do anything. If you are happier not then cool. I would say actually if you wanted to focus on the memorialising of Mary Seacole you might want to do a link actually to Light Brigade because they are Crimean War as well because we could talk about the healing star among the wounded a yellow sunrise to the dying as opposed to like honour the noble 600. This is cool, this is what we can do with this, this is a good one that works with a lot of things. So I'm also really interested in this one because there's been some controversy over the English, like, English lit canon, which is mostly old white dudes. So we've got Agard, we've got Imtiaz Darker with Tissue, we've got a couple of girls, but the majority is still old white dudes. On the other half, you've got Daljit Nagra, and you've got yeah that's it he's the only person of color in the other half so there is a kind of a backlash about could we make our curriculum more diverse and i'm gonna be very interested to see if they develop the anthology in the future what they will put with checking out me history because i think there would be some really nice one there is one by zephaniah about being angry that would go with it in a lovely lovely way anyway plug my pluggables straighttalkingenglish.com oh yeah you can buy my revision guide you can read my blog you can download all the podcasts and listen to them and get your friends to listen to them straighttalkingenglish.com you can also tweet me str8 talk english on twitter i have not been telling many jokes recently it's actually been a bit serious in my tweet so i promise i'll put up some more jokes just keep it chill thank you very much decide for yourself who would you have included in the british history curriculum decide for yourself please let me know on twitter and have a lovely day